0: This weekend, an organization known as American Atheists will be hosting their 45th annual national convention in Cincinnati, Ohio. American Atheists was founded by the late Madeline O'Hare. She was the infamous woman whose 1963 lawsuit banned teacher led prayer and Bible reading from the U.S. public schools. Madeline was the face of atheism in the 1970s. Obviously, the timing of the American Atheist Convention is intentional. Mad Madeline once said that her purge of religion in America should include taking back Easter and making it a celebration to the start of the spring. At the American Atheist Convention today, you'll see slogans intended to mock Christianity. For example, in God we trust, not or there's a sucker born again every minute or god is just pretend in fact conference attendees they even have the opportunity to get debaptized they brazenly stand in front of a blow dryer and they renounce their former christian faith the conference is a pep rally for atheists their speeches on the so-called dangers of religious belief Folks are condemning, they're hostile, they propose the outlawing of religion, they are violent and intolerant toward Christians while accusing Christians of being violent and intolerant. I'm glad you chose to worship with us at church today, not with the American atheists. But let me suggest to you that an atheist convention making a declaration of unbelief is exactly what we find here in Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 10. And again, women are leading the way. Luke names the delegation—Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. And of course, some of you will want to jump to the defense of these ladies who visited Jesus' tomb. Pastor Sandy, how can you put Jesus' faithful followers— in the same category as blatant, belligerous, blasphemous enemies of all that's good and godly like Madeleine O'Hare. These Marys are no Madeleines! But here's the point I want to challenge you with this morning. Atheism comes in two varieties. On the one hand, there's the flaming, antagonistic, militant brand of atheism embodied in organizations like the one that's meeting this morning in Cincinnati, Ohio. This kind of atheism opposes religious expression. It wants to deny people their right to worship the God of the Bible. They're anti-Christ and they're anti-God. These guys wear the black hats. They're relatively easy to spot. And for years, the perennial poster child for this type of atheism was Madeleine O'Hare. But there's a more subtle form of atheism. This is the atheism that works its way into churches, no less and bring spices to Jesus' tomb. It's respectful and reverent and even religious. These are the atheists in white hats. They attend church, and they speak half-hearted prayers, and they worship at appropriate times, and they hide behind a veneer of compliance. This is the atheism found among folks who even claim to be followers of Jesus. You'll never find this kind of atheism causing for the elimination of faith. Rather, it just ignores the implications of faith. It includes the resurrection in its creed, but it treats the risen Lord Jesus as if He's dead. And the poster child for this brand of atheism is Mary and the other women who accompanied her to the tomb of Jesus on that first Easter morning. Since you're at church today and not the atheist convention, you're probably not a Madeline, but are you a Mary? A few years ago, the Atlanta Journal newspaper made an awful error. It published the obituary of a man who was still alive. The obituary appeared in the Thursday edition. Friday's paper printed the retraction. The editors blamed the mix-up on a miscommunication with the funeral home. But how would you like to wake up one morning, open up the AJC, and see yourself memorialized in the obituaries? No one alive and kicking wants to be treated as if they're dead. Yet this is what the two Marys and Joanna and the other women do to Jesus. While they were still in Galilee, Jesus told them what would happen. He gave them the play-by-play that he'd be arrested And then crucified and then three days later he would rise from the dead. Since they had seen Jesus conquer sickness and demons and storms at sea it made sense to them that death couldn't hold him. But though they had heard what he said and probably acknowledged it at the time it didn't really click in their heads. Maybe they assumed he was teaching them another parable or his words just maybe sailed over their heads maybe it was similar to what happens when you tell a teenager to take out the trash <laughs> oh he hears you but does he really <laughs> hey why the truth didn't register with the disciples we're not sure but on that first easter morning mary and the company of women came to the tomb they were treating a man who was alive as if he were dead The women made the journey with the fresh and potent spices. They were prepared to rewrap Jesus' corpse. In fact, Mark 16 tells us that on the way to the tomb, they wondered among themselves how they were going to move the heavy stone from off the mouth of the grave. Their intention was to finish giving Jesus' body a decent burial. Even when the women found that the tomb was already open, the reality of what had happened didn't really hit them. Rather than marvel at a miracle, they were perplexed and puzzled. Were they standing on holy ground? Or was this the scene of a robbery, a grave robbery? It took two angels with a question to jar these women back to reality. These guys in shining garments, they asked them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And I can hear the angels chuckle as they say these words. The question does imply a funny thought, doesn't it? Why are you treating a man who is alive as if he's dead? Folks who are alive usually don't hang out in graveyards. The angel declares, He is not here, He is risen. You know, in the Russian Orthodox Church there is an ancient tradition observed for the day AFTER Easter. Post-Easter Monday is a day reserved for humor and for telling jokes. The priests and the people alike, they save their best jokes for the day after Easter, and they gather together to tell them to one another. It would be my kind of holiday. It's their way of honoring the cosmic joke that God played on the devil with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Satan thought he had won. In killing Christ, he figured he'd snuffed out the light of the world. In essence, Satan blew out the birthday candles only to discover that God was using those non-extinguishing birthday candles. Three days later, Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, and He revived bodily to let the whole world know it. Satan had laughed, but God was the one who had the last laugh. The joke was on the devil. What he thought was his greatest victory became his defeat and our salvation. And yet all too often the joke is on us, friends, for Jesus is alive and well. He's ready to lead us into new ventures and to work through us to change our worlds. Yet we still visit the tomb with fresh spices. Jesus lives, so why are we hanging out in graveyards among dead dreams and among dead hopes and with dead relationships and with dead joys? See, the problem with many believers and even churches today is what we could call a practical atheism. Our theology is correct, but our practice lags behind. We say we believe in the risen Lord, but we live as if He's dead. We pray, but do we assume He listens before we serve? Do we wait upon His power when we're lonely? Do we look to Him and His presence Rather than run with Him with our problems, do we try to solve them on our own? Rather than seek His guidance, do we make our best guess and then just trudge on? Rather than lean into His power, do we throw our own meager resources at the problem? Rather than depend upon His comfort and His joy, do we turn to drugs or sports or games or movies or entertainment? Do we stay distracted? so we don't have to deal with life's emptiness. Here is this morning's big idea. Jesus is alive and well, but all too often we treat Him as if He's dead. Once there was a young, innovative pastor. He was doing his best to relight the flame in a dead church. There was an old, crusty, stuck-in-his-ways deacon who was blocking his every effort. One day, the stubborn old geezer, he just lost it. He exploded. He said, Pastor, he says, I'm telling you, if Jesus knew all the changes you're trying to make in our church, he'd roll over in his grave. <laughs> Whoops. His slip of the tongue revealed the superficiality of his faith. Actually, though no one would ever admit it, if the truth were known, there are many religious people today who would prefer a dead Jesus to a live one. If it were up to them, they'd use burial spices to wrap Him back up. They would roll the stone back over the mouth of the grave and let Jesus out only when it suited them. Some folks would want to gag Him with His own grave clothes so He wouldn't remind them of all of those troublesome commandments that cramped their style. There are people who would rather have Jesus stuffed away and out of sight and kept in His place so he couldn't meddle in the self-life that they're accustomed to living. Some church folk treat Jesus like a family heirloom or like the Christmas decorations. They stick him in the trunk or they store him in the basement and only bring him out on holidays like Christmas and Easter. Hey, you can pay homage to a dead Savior whenever you want. You can visit a tomb when it's convenient for you. You can make impressive pledges of commitment to a dead Jesus while still living for yourself. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, author Philip Yancey, he writes honestly, he says, In many respects, I would find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. The resurrection makes him dangerous. It means he must be loose out there somewhere. Like the disciples, I never know where Jesus might turn up, how he might speak to me. What he might ask of me. A living Lord is not so convenient and predictable, is he? He's alive and he's on the move. He demands my loyalty moment by moment. He has the power and prerogative to interrupt my plans and to prompt me to change. Jesus can never be confined to a box or to a grave. The risen Lord Jesus calls the shots and expects us to follow. Another author writes, The resurrection means we can never nail Jesus down, not even if the nails we use are real and the thing we nail Him to is a cross. Hey, if you follow the risen Lord, you're liable to find Jesus anywhere. At the ballpark, along the road, or hanging out in your backyard, or at the movie theater, or cruising along with you in your car, or joining you on the job. Not just the sacred but the secular is His domain. The Bible tells us that the whole world is His footstool. If the only time you're looking for Jesus is on Sunday mornings in a house of worship, no wonder you're you're missing Him so often. Jesus is not some disabled senior citizen confined to His bed in a nursing home. He's full of vim and vigor. His adrenaline still pumps an adventure. You can bet Jesus is out and about. Once a family, that gathered in front of the television to watch a video of the life of Jesus. The six-year-old daughter, she was moved to tears by the graphic scenes of Jesus' scourging and His trial and His crucifixion and His death. The little girl sniffled. She wiped her eyes as the Roman soldiers took the body of Jesus down from the cross. She watched as His friends laid Him in the borrowed tomb. And then suddenly... She shot up in her seat. A big smile came over her face. She turned to the rest of the family and, with tremendous anticipation, she shouted, Now comes the good part. And I couldn't agree more. I'm thankful for the cross and the blood of our Lord Jesus that was shed for me. Without it, my forgiveness and your forgiveness would be impossible. But Jesus is no longer dead, He's alive. And His plans for us today are real and ready and vibrant and waiting on our cooperation. Our salvation was won on the cross, but the cross was not the end of the story. It began for us a whole new adventure with God. The risen Lord Jesus now lives large in us to change us and lead us and use us. He works through us to impact this needy world. You know, there's a scene from the epic series, Jesus of Nazareth. It comes right at the end. The high priest henchman, the man who has conspired with Judas to kill Jesus, he's breathing easier now. Crucifixions happen. Despite the fact Jesus was clearly divine, if He had allowed Jesus to live, it would have upset the status quo. The powerful religious higher-ups agreed He had to be silenced. Powerful people had too much to lose. And yet now, three days later, this same official hears that there's something wrong at the tomb. And so he arrives to inspect with two other priests and with a squadron of soldiers. He finds that the Roman guard was supernaturally overcome. The stone was rolled away. The body of Jesus is now nowhere to be found. He walks into the empty tomb and he sees the empty grave clothes. And he stares off into the distance as he whispers, Now it begins! It all begins! Don't try to roll back the stone! Keep those burial spices on the shelf, friend! There's no need to frequent a tomb any longer! Let Jesus be as alive in your life as He is in the world today! The resurrection is where it all begins, where NOW it begins! a new beginning for a fallen world and new lives for fallen people who've been resurrected in his life. Think of it. The risen Lord Jesus continually continually sets sail on the sea of today, but are you on board with what he's doing, or are you just standing on the dock waving at him? I love this poem by Lois Cheney. Listen to it closely. She writes, Once upon a time... There was a God who so loved the world that He gave His Son, His only Son. And they took that Son, and they hung Him on a cross. And that Son died, and they buried the Son, sealed Him up tight. But God said, Oh, no, you don't. And He rolled back the rock. He unsealed His Son, and His Son came out, came out walking and breathing, and He was alive. And He's alive today. And He walks around, and He talks around breathing life and life every morning just before dawn for thousands of years little grim people preachers and bankers and storekeepers and students sneak up to the grave and they roll back that stone to seal it up tight and every morning god roars oh no you don't and he flings back the stone and out walks jesus all over again out stalks the grinding striding jesus Tight-lipped little people hover all day around the tomb and cover it with incense and bow before it and walk before it and pray to it and sing to it and weep to it and lean on it, and no one notices, or at least they pretend not to notice, the living, breathing, walking, talking Jesus out on the edge calling, Hey, hey, you! Has Jesus been trying to get your attention? One Easter, a pastor, he gathered the kids in the altar for his little children's sermon. When out of the blue, one of the little boys said loudly, he said, What did Jesus say right after he came out of the grave? His question caught the pastor off guard. He was stumped. That is, until a little girl piped up. She said, Pastor, I know what Jesus said. Well, the pastor was curious. He said, Well, okay, tell me, what did Jesus say when he came out of the grave? She threw out her arms and she shouted, Tada! Ta-da! I'm not sure that's exactly what Jesus has said, but she was close. I see him standing in the opening of that tomb, arms spread wide, a big smile on his face, a big grin on his face, and he's laughing loudly, ta-da, I'm back, death couldn't hold me, I'm here, I'm alive, and I'm going places, will you follow me? In a sense, Jesus still stands in the opening of that tomb, shouting to every living person every day, ta-da, I'm alive, will you come and follow me? This is the good part. It is the good part. This is where new life takes off. Luke 24, our text this morning, recounts what happened that first Easter. But let's say I was asked to retell the Easter story without using words. No words now. I had to recount the story with nothing but punctuation. Here's how I would punctuate the resurrection story. I'd begin with a comma. See, these women are returning to the tomb to finish a job they've left in haste three days earlier. The Sabbath had been like a comma, like a pause in their preparations, like a brief interruption. But now they're headed back with fresh spices to repack the corpse and to rewrap the burial shroud they're going to finish this tragic sentence. But then I would put down a cold, bold period, for there's no bounce in their step, there's no joy in their hearts, there's no smile on their face, no anticipation in their conversation. In fact, a period now sits at the end of their dream for a better life and a better world. They've all assumed that Jesus is dead. There's no thought that He still might have one more bold miracle up His sleeve. No, I'd put a period right here. Next, though, I'd place a question mark. For when they arrive at the tomb, they find that it's empty. But we're told they were greatly perplexed. All they had was questions. All kinds of theories and possibilities were swirling in their heads. They should have known He was risen. He had told them so. But now all that they can muster is a question mark. It's only after the angel's rebuke, after the reality of the empty tomb and its implications had settled over them, that the risen Lord had revealed Himself to them, that the women responded with an exclamation. The Marys and the others ended up trusting Jesus, and they decided to follow Him to the ends of the earth. It's comical now, but these women had been treating a man who was alive as if he were dead Jesus was alive and on the move. Despite their earlier failure, they were given a new start, and for them, it began. It now all began. Is your faith a comma? You pause on Sundays to attend church. You sing the songs, you say the prayers, you hear the sermon, but come Monday, you're right back, re in your secular routine. On Sunday, you say you believe in the resurrection. But Monday through Saturday, you live as if he's dead. Is your faith a period? Life has let you down. Hurts won't go away. You've given up on your dreams. Dreams you thought would be fulfilled. Sometime, not long ago, you stopped reaching for the stars. And now your goal is just to make it through the next day. Your life desperately needs a miracle. Yet you're not anticipating one from Jesus. Is your faith a question mark? Recently your life has taken some strange twists. Circumstances have occurred you can't explain. You've tried to calculate solutions to your problems, but you've never considered Jesus to be part of the equation. You need to factor in His resurrection today. He's alive, and Jesus may just be setting you up for a miracle. And is your faith an exclamation point? I hope it is. For are you living hand in hand, stride for stride with Jesus? Do you look to Him and lean on Him and live with Him? Are you excited about the future? Are you anticipating the living Lord to take charge of you and to fill you and to love you and to lead you and to use you in many and mighty ways? If that's not your anticipation, then why not? Perhaps you've always claimed to be a Christian. You accept what believers believe, and since most Christians attend church on Easter, you've gotten up even earlier to a sunrise service. You're here. Yet let me challenge you to go beyond the rhetoric. For regardless of what you've been mouthing in your heart, have you been acting like an atheist? Are you a white hat atheist? Are you guilty of a practical atheism? You're not a Madeline, but have you been a Mary? Mary? Listen one final time to the angels what they asked the women when they came to Jesus' tomb. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is risen. From now on, let's follow the risen Lord Jesus. Let's get in tow with the Jesus who overcame all obstacles. Not even death could hold Him. His plans never fail. He's always on the move. Here's the final word this morning, today it begins, it all begins.